0: Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to
1: let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 335 with my guest JT. Uh, my name is Paul Gilmartin. In case you were asking, in case you were wondering, hey, who is this guy? Because a lot of people randomly, accidentally land on a podcast. Uh, my name is Paul Gilmartin. Now that we've settled that, I'll let you na- know the name of the podcast that you accidentally stumbled into. Uh, welcome to the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a podcast about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction. Why to everyday compulsive negative thinking? This show, ladies and gentlemen is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I am a jackass. I'm a former stand-up comedian. I'm a former cable TV host. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor. But I am a hypochondriac. I can't tell if this part is going well or I've lost everybody. Welcome to my brain. Uh, The website for this show, as well as my uh, Twitter handle is MentalPod. Uh, So our website's MentalPod.com and my Twitter handle is MentalPod. I could not have really found a lengthier way to explain those two things. I'm going to work on it. I am going to, uh, as soon as I'm off mic, I'm going to see how much I can stretch that out. Um, Thank you for your outpouring of support. I got a little choked up at the end of, uh, last week's episode, I was reading, um, something that was submitted by a listener and it just suddenly really, really spoke to me as I was reading it. And I got choked up and I decided to leave it in there. Um, and it's, it's just so, uh, lovely to see how, um, how much some of you care and um it there's a part of me that's really embarrassed that feels naked and exposed and um, a little um, attention hungry, needy, weak. <laughs> Let's stop before I become depressed again. <clears throat> it I am feeling a bit better. Excuse me, I just, I just, have you ever screwed up swallowing your own saliva? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you think after this many years on the planet, I'd be good enough? I'd have enough practice at swallowing my own saliva (coughs) that I wouldn't still be fumbling around with it. Anyway, could be that I just uh, chewed a bunch of ginger. Ginger's my neighbor. <laughs> oh good God. Um little health scare with Ivy, uh our remaining dog. Uh yeah, her ass was a fire hose this last week and she was throwing up. But uh she's on a diet now of chicken and rice and uh is doing better but that was my fear was like really on top of this now our our other dog is is going to die but it it looks like she's she's okay um i watched something that was so i thank you to the twitter person who uh tweeted this to me there is video of a guy confessing a uh, i don't know if you call him a serial killer or mass murderer but um It's video footage of him being interviewed by the police. And it's about an hour long. Apparently, there's two parts. I just watched the first part of it. And it's – got to do a lot of fast-forwarding because the guy that is – who is taking the notes, the cop who is taking the notes, has the slowest penmanship I think I've ever seen. Uh, So, you know, the killer will share – a short sentence and five minutes later the guy is done transcribing what he's written down. Anyway all of this is to say it is a fascinating peek into the mind of a psychopath. I'm talking about the guy transcribing. Total psychopath. Uh, no the the, the the killer is I don't even know how to um describe it if you if you Google um, killer uh, Superbike interview uh, because the the store where he killed a couple of people uh, was called a superbike. It first of all, like most killers, uh, he was intelligent, soft-spoken is looking in an awkward way to try to connect with people um, seems desperately to want to elicit some type of recognition of his brilliance and planning um, he was almost manic like he was in a like in a great mood like he had lived with all of this pride of him planning things out and executing his plans out in such a way that I think he thought that he was going to impress the police who are interviewing him and it's it's fascinating that this guy can't see that yeah while police may clear a room Of criminals, clearing a room of innocent people is not the same thing. Um, But this guy was talking about his his carrying out this act in incredible detail. You could tell that he was just a um, like read everything he could find about guns and the military and et cetera, et cetera um but it was almost as he was as he was describing what he had done it was if if you could imagine somebody had spent five years painting a painting that they feel expresses their genius and this was him revealing that painting to somebody there was like an and excitement uh, in him that it, it was you know there was there's one time in it where it's so clear that this this guy fancies himself as like a cop or some type of soldier um, and in, in referring to having shot somebody or done something horrible he he said to the cop uh, you've been there you know what I'm talking about and um, You know, and then he he started trying to um, present himself in as good a light as possible. You know, he said, uh, I don't, uh, I don't, how, how did he phrase it exactly? Oh, I prefer not to shoot a woman if I can, and I refuse to shoot a kid. And that phrase says so much to me because he did shoot a woman. But I refuse to shoot a kid. Refuse is such an interesting choice of words because it says to me that this guy is so divided. It's like there is a part of him that wants to do something and then there's another part of him that's battling it um i don't know it you ha- you it's disturbing but uh it is cuz i'm obsessed with uh obsessed might be too strong of a word um fascinated by peeks into people who can't control their dark side. And this is probably one of the most fascinating ones that I've seen so far. Um, I really wish that the camera hadn't just shown him from a high angle from behind. It would have been really interesting to also see his eyes and see where he was looking um, as he was talking. But anyway, um, (laughs) switching gears... Uh, I want to remind you guys coming up in October is LA pod fest. It's uh it's an amazing event it happens every year. And I've been uh, fortunate enough to be a part of it. And this year, my guest is going to be a uh, comedian, Andy Kindler. And I'm really looking forward to it. Andy is, Andy is one of the funniest people I know. And, um, not somebody who talks about his feelings uh, very often, but, um, it it's i'm i'm looking forward to it because andy is somebody that i love and one of the funniest people i know so i'm so excited that he's he's gonna do it uh the reason i bring podfest up is go to lapodfest.com and you can get deals on uh hotels hotel rooms at the hotel where it's taking place um which is in downtown los angeles um what else did I want to mention? I did that? Oh, um, this interview with JT. Uh, he's from Manchester, and he has a pretty thick accent, uh, dialect, whatever you want to call it. Um, if you don't understand some of what he's saying at first, uh, hang in there. You'll you'll begin to pick up on it, and it'll it'll become easier to uh, to understand. Um, Because at first, a couple of words that he said threw me. And then after a little while, I was like, oh, oh, okay. All right, I know what that is now. Um, The other thing, I think I told the story already about him and I going to get tea afterwards. Um, We just hit it off. Even though I'm 50-something and he was 19, there was like this connection that we had. And after this interview... In Liverpool, I said to him, "You know I've got a couple hours to kill before I take the train back to London. I've always wanted to go into like a a proper tea room and get English tea and just see what that experience is like and he He went with me, and so picture this kind of uh kid you know who likes heavy metal, got long hair, real working class uh he and I going into a very, very upper-class British uh, tea shop, uh, like, noon. And the first thing we see when we go in there, and I'm not kidding, is a lady doing some kind of, like, 1920s dance while a Victrola is playing. We had the best time because we just sat and laughed for like a half hour at how absurd it felt that the two of us were so out of place in there but it was it was one of my favorite days on my trip and uh talking to to JT was as well um i have mentioned before that betterhelp.com is a sponsor uh of this show uh it's also uh where i found my therapist Donna she's awesome Talk to her every week, and uh, she helps me with uh, so many things. You know, a lot of times I don't want to participate in therapy. A lot of times I dread therapy because I don't like going in there. I'm. I think a lot of you are probably like me, and that when you're hurting or not feeling comfortable in your skin, you want to. Get away from everybody. Go in the corner and lick your wound, and find something to distract yourself. But I have to say, every time I finish doing a a video um, therapy session with her, I feel better. Uh, I've got some more insight, and I and I feel heard. So um, <clears throat> again, difficulty. <clears throat> I think it's what I what I uh, ate before I came here. That's making me have a, a struggle swallowing. Anyway, go to betterhelp.com slash mental and uh, complete a questionnaire, and you'll get matched with a betterhelp.com counselor, and uh, you can experience a free week of online counseling to see if it's right for you, and you need to be over 18. This, uh, before I read this very, very brief, awfulsome moment, and I have to say it might be the most awful... S- the most dense, brief, awfulsome moment uh, I've had on the show so far. It is definitely Hall of Fame. It's a single sentence, and it's so fucked up. Um, but uh, I also wanted to mention in this interview with JT, he uses the phrase uh, year 10 or year 11 and... Um, I didn't realize until pretty far into the interview he didn't mean when he was ten or eleven. He meant when he was in tenth grade or eleventh grade. So, just in case some of you uh, don't understand that either, let you know that. Uh, let you know that now. Um, and right after this awfulsome uh, moment that I'm going to read uh, is a little audio bite from a listener named uh, Alana, who uh, describes. Her struggle in the sentence of living with bipolar. All right. Now that all of that is out of the way, uh, this is an some moment filled out by Ben. And he writes, in my mother's suicide note, she misspelled the word loser. What my bipolar feels like, the most insane reality, the clearest of fogs the highest of lows it's me standing in the middle of the street completely naked dancing and smiling in the middle of a tornado but feeling and believing that there is nothing but sunshine and butterflies around me to
0: me my bipolar is the perfect storm the perfect storm inside of an all-inclusive VIP party that I arranged and invited everyone to Yet, I stand there and I feel as though I'm the only one on the guest list. I'm completely alone. My bipolar disorder is the
1: most beautiful disaster imaginable. I'm so scared of being alive and so scared of dying. I was so, so lonely, but I couldn't bear being around people. And it hurt. I've just been, like, very interested in this. I don't know how to let loose and just be. All my altars have different handwriting different... Extremely anxious. Affect. I am most turned on when I am in fear.
0: My first thought was I'm about to die.
1: Stomach watching despair ocean of sadness i came out over the phone to them
0: i put myself on the because in fourth grade
1: they told me i was wrong
0: the secrecy is what kills us
1: and i just sat there and cried on his shoulder and it was the first time i ever felt safe like a weight lifted off of me in order to get rid of your anger you have to learn how to cry
0: i started liking myself for the first time I'm afraid that people are only nice to me because they're afraid I'll kill myself if they're not
1: Oh that's fantastic. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> I'm here with JT. Uh he came down from Manchester. I'm in uh I'm in Liverpool. And uh it's so exciting. I've dreamed of dreamed of coming here for the, the longest time and uh getting to see all the Beatles stuff. And I appreciate you making the trip down from uh, from Manchester.
0: Yeah, I yeah, too. It's, you know, you, you won't be down here too often, so I start mm-hmm. to. And, I mean, trip to Liverpool as well. It's absolutely beautiful around there. you know, with the River, the Mersey, and you don't really get to see that much in
1: Manchester. It's all just people and buildings. It's nice to see ships and v- stuff. Very industrial. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the hotel I'm, I'm at is, uh, you have a view of the Mersey, and... Uh, the sun was setting over it last night, and I wow. was just like, I can't believe here I am after the years of you know hearing the Beatles sing about yeah. the Mersey and uh, Must getting to see all their childhood homes and strawberry wow. fields and all that other stuff. I was just like, yeah. the, the school... Court, uh, the the school where they sang together for the first time, where they got wow. introduced to each other. Yeah, it must yeah. be incredible. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. So let's get to uh, to your story. You're 19 years old. Yeah, um, you started listening to the podcast about um, two years ago. Yes. Yeah, I think like you adult, said about 16, 17. And what what were some of the uh, misconceptions it it dispelled? i mean at the time i was
0: struggling with abandonment with anxiety uh, but at the time it was mainly abandonment and i didn't know it at the time and um when i was with friends and with people i could be quite aggressive or quite nasty quite in your face very controlling and i didn't realize it for a second no one mentioned it i, I just thought i was just normal then i started listening to a podcast and um, i heard a lot of people's stories about how they were controlling people and all of a sudden it was like a slap in the face and i just sat down and looked to myself and i said something's not right here because i could see that the people around me were just unhappy they they were were scared to say anything just in case they'd snap at or and
1: they were afraid to be perceived as
0: weak yeah they, was afra- they, were, they were more afraid of just being themselves mm-hmm. in case they said something and um,
1: oh, like they were afraid being around you of, of saying something or just yeah, in general
0: yeah they was like scared of doing something that had nightmare. if you get that
1: no they were so afraid of doing something
0: like um, say something got on my nerves that they did like say they shut the leg and a snap at them like did 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 like they shake like, the leg just by habit and they'd like apologise for it. Oh so, oh, we so they were on eggshells. Yeah, here. they were walking on eggshells. Um there was one friend, she was my best friend, um um with her I told her where to go, I took her everywhere with me and she'd just sort of be background noise. Like she was just she was i I'd just tell her everything and she didn't really have a chance to tell me her story because I was just laying everything onto her and it just got a bit much for her really because I was just telling her my whole life story. I was telling her how bad this class is, how bad that teacher is. And it was, And then when they'd fall out with someone, it was their fault, not mine. Mm. And I never realized that it was me
1: that was the problem, not them. That is amazing that somebody at 19 can get an accurate picture of their part in things when you're in that survival mode of trying to repress all your childhood feelings, yeah. which I assume is what was, yeah, was, it was going yeah. on.
0: Because when I was younger, uh, I was eight-year-old, um, between then I lived with my mother and my father. They were alcoholics, um, did fight a lot. Not they would not touch me, but did fight a lot um, with just with each other. With each other, yeah. There was times where I was laying in bed with him, and um, my mum would be saying, that, "I'm gonna, cut, I'm gonna stab him," and stuff like that. Like mum would get a knife out, and i would be fearing for my dad's life.
1: Um, what What do you remember thinking about? Do you remember having any co- conscious other than fear for your dad's life? Any kind of conscious? thoughts or feelings I think outside of your dad at that moment.
0: I think I just sort of felt useless because there was nothing I could do. Um I mean I just I just had to stand there and watch it or try and hide away from it. And I mean I don't remember too much now, thank God because I think a lot of it I have repressed and forgot about. Um but they died when I was eight from alcohol. Both died? Uh, Six weeks. Oh my god.
1: What, cirrhosis? Uh,
0: Well, my dad died because something popped in his stomach, a vein, and he basically internal bleeding. Um, The day before he died, um, he was falling over and everything. I was there. Um, By then, I was in um, living with my auntie who took care of me um, because they were alcoholic and social services got involved. yeah, and the the ambulance came, and I begged him to get in, but he just wouldn't. He refused. Um, he died the day after, and then six weeks later, my mum choked and was sick because she took tablets and basically drank herself to death because she gave up.
1: So it, it was suicide in a sense.
0: It wasn't suicide in a sense. Yeah, but it, it wasn't deliberate. I don't think she meant mm-hmm. it. She just she just, didn't care. she just drank so much. She took so many tablets. It just she couldn't. She passed out and she couldn't get up. It's just choked after off to death.
1: <sighs> what does it feel like as you hear those words come out of your mouth? I mean, it's. It doesn't. I don't
0: feel anything until I say it. Like, I can sit and I can think about it, and I just went, oh well, it just happens. But, just to hear myself say things like that, like, I think that's to that little boy and it must have been awful for him because it's hard to go back 11 years and say this is how i felt because i honestly don't really remember um but i know what the domino effect that it caused it bringing up abandonment issues like i didn't want anyone to leave my um and just general
1: anxiety and and what a combination to have rage and not wanting anybody to abandon you yeah it's like could you have it's a worse combination yeah. to try to cope with life? yeah to be awful an awful person to your friends
0: and not expect them to leave you but i mean i'm so glad i became conscious of it and i don't think i would have if it wasn't for your podcast well
1: that means honestly. that means a lot to me um are you starting to realize that you're not an awful person, that that yeah. was just the tools? That yeah, you, that's the tools that are used to try and cope with dude, the dude. cards I was given. That is music to my ears, yeah. to, to to hear a kid like you be able to make that realization. I,
0: I'm, I mean, I'm in two different... In my life, for me, is two different people. It was that person, and now it's this person. And I need to get. I've apologized to everyone hurt in the past. I sat down one day. I spoke to my counselor, and uh, I just said, "I need to apologize to everyone." I apologized to everyone. I got it off my chest. I mean, even if I see him in the street and he's still giving me a dirty look, I know I apologized and I did the best I could. Are you saving up? I am. Oh, god bless.
1: I'm just so incredibly moved. I'm just so moved.
0: (laughs) I've told my story so many times I've never seen anyone cry to it.
1: You know, the part that moves me the most is that you've had this breakthrough.
0: Mm.
1: At 19...
0: I, I don't feel nineteen. Let me tell you, I feel late twenties, mentally and emotionally. And I mean, I'm not perfect. I still, like, sometimes I'll have, I'll be having a bad day and I'll compulsively shop. But it's it's always some a control. I never go out and spend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. If I feel like I need to do something, I like say, I don't know, compulsively watch a TV series or I'll go. On eBay and just buy a load of things that are dead cheap because you know when when it comes you get that rush don't you You're like oh. oh it's the best I know Like it's I understand shopping addiction because that rush when it comes through the door and you see it it's like mm-hmm. yes yes
1: it's like a rocket ship off of it earth
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> something to focus on when I discovered the game Civilization it was I don't know whatever the feeling of being back in the womb is mm. like that That was like, I've never done heroin, mm. but I feel like it can't be as good as Civilization. <laughs> when, you, when you've got a good map and a good army mm. and and you've just taken somebody's city. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Say. I honestly get it.
0: Yeah. Video games, I love yeah. video games. I mean, I'm a sore loser but I still, I could play until the end of time. I really could. But sometimes you need to stop. That, that's about four o'clock in the morning most times.
1: But yeah. So give me some snapshots from from childhood. You know, I you've obviously painted a a, a great picture mm. about the big events. Mm. Um, but I and maybe this is just because I live outside the UK. Mm. I I would just kind of like a picture of the culture that you grew up in and your place in that culture, how you viewed yourself? Mm. Um, I
0: mean, most of my life I felt like an outcast because people just, they don't understand me. I mean, I've always had friends, but it's never, it's always just been friends for the sake of having friends, you know, all the outcasts come together. It was sort of that sort of group of people. Um, It's only really until now that I've actually found people that click with and I mean, I've got one of my best friends now. He's, he's in his, late 50s. And people think it's weird, you know, when they see me, like, walking down the street, like, is that your dad? I'm like, no, it's my mate. Like, what? Because emotionally I am. I'm much older than I am in age. And a lot of people have started to realise that. Um, so that's the sort of people I get on with I get on with the older people. And some people don't get it, but... Do you think it's because they're finally dealing with their shit whereas yeah. kids are just still kids trying are to still escape? lost. Yeah, they don't understand the world. You know and I mean I think I'm quite lucky at nineteen to be emotionally where I am but
1: Yeah, and you know I got an email from somebody yesterday and um it was a trans woman mm. who was living in a just intolerant home and dealing with crippling anxiety and you know i i said to her you are not failing your family your family is failing you yep. and society is failing you yep. you know you you having depression and anxiety and being trans should be on the level of somebody saying I'm blonde and I yeah. have diabetes. Yeah. It's... Uh, it's... It just it, is. It really... I mean,
0: I do it myself. I'm not I'm not gonna be a hypocrite. But, you know, I hate the judgment people give to trans people or people who enjoy... who are male who enjoy dressing up as a girl. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I will be walking down the street and see someone like that and I'll be like, a bit weird. Mm-hmm. But I used to be the sort of person that go, why the hell is he dressing like that? He's a man. what But... I mean, now that again I've been listening to your podcast, I understand. I honestly think it's a beautiful thing, and you should be able to embrace yourself without people's judgment. But society is in such a mess that you can't walk down the street without someone judging you. Can't you? Can't walk around with someone who's different because people have something to say, mm-hmm. and people are so bothered about other people. They don't look inside themselves and realize that the reason they're judging them is because they don't feel their offense itself They they don't understand themselves yet and I think that's it's, the way it is.
1: It's, it's exactly how it is and when I was 19 I was homophobic mm. you know I would have if I'd had some some beer in me and I was out with friends mm. and I saw somebody like that walk by I would have I've yeah. said something yeah. demeaning, and uh, I wish I could take that back. But that's it's, that, yeah. that's it's who I was yeah. in that moment. That's not that wasn't yeah. my authentic self. I'm I'm, I'm glad to say. Mm. Um, give me a, a, a picture of the neighborhood you
0: grew up in. I mean, it's just the usual detached house, Lots of families around. Uh, I mean, we're very. We we didn't really get involved with the neighbors. We just sort of kept ourselves to ourselves. Sometimes there was five or six living the house. Now there's only two, um, because of people just moving on or dying, etc. Um, Do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, but I'm not in contact with any of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I used to be in contact with my brother, but we just sort of fell out of contact. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister wanted to meet up, be up, but when my mom and dad died. Um, that whole side of the family ransacked my house and robbed things and said they'd open an account for me when I was 18. So when I brought it up when I was 18, they just said, I don't have a clue what you on about. So I'm sort of, I don't know. They said yeah, that they'd opened I, an
1: account.
0: Yeah, they said they were going to sell everything, open an account and give it me when I was 18, but they just, they never did. Um, So I'm not too sure whether I want to get involved with them. Yeah. yeah, Because there was times where they were saying, me auntie who I live with, she was brainwashing me and things like that and that's why I didn't want to talk to him but he wasn't it was because of them robbing my house and robbing my toys and stuff wow yeah and I mean my aunt yeah my aunt is she's she's helped me through it a lot and I mean I never did want to talk about my mum and dad so she never really brought it up but when when I did sit down and you know try and talk about it she'd she told me everything. She was like, "If you ever need to talk about it, you know, I'm here. I'll tell you what you need to know." Um, I'm gay as well, and um, obviously, I think every gay person is scared to come out. But when I came out, she just went, "Yeah, it's fine." I know who you were. What, what, what did that feel like to you? It was such a relief. You know, it's when when you're gay and you're, you you're worried to come out, it feels like you got you got a backpack of bricks on you. There's so much weight on you. and um, Especially, I think, being in a, in a working class uh, yeah, environment. Yeah, because you just wonder what people say. Especially, I was about 14, 15 when I came out. Um, Especially that age, you know, you don't really know what people are going to say. And one day I just said, I have to. I have to do it. So I came out and everyone just embraced it and loved it. <laughs> what did that feel like? It was amazing. Because I hear about the stories of people being abandoned and people being beaten to death because of it and i've just never had that experience i've always had people accepting me for a bit
1: and it's been incredible that i have to say is like one of the greatest things i've been able to see evolve Mm. because i'm older uh, is to see so many more people being accepted and it being um considered mainstream, as it should. Mm. It is. It's a very good thing to see. So, when you were a little kid, mm. where where did you escape? Mainly
0: into toys like wrestlers and things like that. I'd just play with wrestlers for hours upon end. I'd sit in my room a lot. I mean, I'd get involved with the family, but I'd be on my own. I'd, I was in fantasy world a lot. Um, he used to, like, play with my cousins on the trampoline, but I think fans, uh, being in fantasy is one of the biggest things. Like, I used to just play go in the garden and, oh, no, dude, that things like Pretending Bear grills, stuff like that because he used to <laughs> love Bear grills at that age. Um, Just things like I that. I love Bear grills. Yeah, I love 48 Bear now, years but, old. Yeah. yeah. It's
1: like, I don't want to be that guy. He's, yeah. like, J- the closest thing to James Bond.
0: Yeah. He's in- incredible, but,
1: yeah but go ahead I got you
0: off Um, but yeah that's mainly it just being in my own little bubble just you know playing my wrestlers pretending I'm in a different world
1: mainly and uh, are are they English wrestlers or American American wrestlers yeah like with the figures like Like John Cena and uh, Edge and people like that wrestlers like that yeah um were you interacting with other kids at that point yeah I
0: mean but it was mainly my cousins Mm -hmm. who I interacted with like we'd just go play on his trampoline and Mm -hmm. we'd like go out and play with. like well guess we did have one friend but we'd just go out like there used to be some woods and we used to go into the woods it wasn't the big woods it was the small woods we We'll just go in there and build dens and stuff like that.
1: Wasn't that the best? It was so fun. That was the best. Yeah, was you'd so find fun. a good tarp and you'd be like oh we got a roof. Yeah. it's great looking back. And did you know you were gay at that point? I mean I was
0: looking at boys but I never put a name to it because I didn't mm-hmm. really know what it was until about year 10. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I was, well year 9 and then that's when I realised that being gay was actually a thing, and I initially came out as bi, and I was like, No, I'm, ju- I'm just not into girls. And so, about year 10, 11, I came out as gay. Um,
1: Yeah. That's pretty damn brave at that yeah. age, especially. Yeah. I and think I grew up pretty quick. Yeah. And how did your uh, male cousins react? They didn't care. Whew. That is great. Yeah. That is great. Uh what was school like?
0: um I mean primary school was good because I had best friends you know I used to play football and stuff like that. was I loved the primary school. um High school is a bit rough, especially when, when when in about year 10, year 11, um that's when the abandonment started coming up, and that's when I was also uh, realizing I was gay. Um, I was falling out with people left, right and centre because I was just so angry Um, and I guess they were angry as well some of them, they they, they changed in uh, a few years and they weren't great people, they weren't nice to be around so I sort of distanced myself um, and in the end I just sort of fell out with everyone and I was on my own and I used to just sit on this little bench with my headphones in and I'd just sit there for an hour and people used to come up to me like, Are "You all right?" I'm like, yeah. Even though I wasn't, because inside I was screaming. Mm-hmm. But I, I had to
1: just say yeah, because I didn't know how to say no. But P- uh, please don't, please don't bother me. I'm using really primitive coping mechanisms right now. I'll <laughs> get back to you. <laughs> uh, so. I'm confused, though. You said in high school you were realizing you were gay, but you you said that you came out at, like, 10 or or 11. I think it was
0: early year 10 um, that I realized. I came out late year 10. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess that, that was sort of the period. It was year 11. I was sort of starting to interact more with people again. Um, But I guess the early stages of year 11 was quite difficult, too, because you just had no one. And
1: by that, you mean uh, when you were 11 years old or 11th Uh, grade? 11th grade. Oh, that's why I was confused. Yeah. Yeah, I thought you meant you came out at at 10 or 11 years old. Oh, no, And I was like, wow. No. (laughs) (laughs) Really? But I've heard of kids coming out at six, seven years old. Well, yeah. Yeah. so give me give me some vignettes some slices of
0: life moments that I mean I think one of the biggest parts when I started to change was (laughs) my friends sat me down this was college I think it was late I was about must have been 17 and I sat down and I did a personality test because he told me to you know everyone was doing it and then it came up um, high in narcissism and at the time i was i was struggling with um health anxiety i still struggle with that now um worrying about your health yeah and when i saw that i burst out crying i was like i'm a narcissist and i walked up to the counselor and i went up and i was like i'm a narcissist you know i need help and he went you're not a narcissist and then i started seeing him um for about a year um, and then he had to there de- de- came a point where he just said I can't see you anymore, it's been too long and my manager won't allow it um, at that point that was about 8 months ago uh, went back into a bit of a pit I was anxious, definitely with um, health anxiety because I had a bit of a stomach bug and um, at the time I was saying it's IBS and Crohn's disease and I had a gluten allergy and I had a milk allergy, and I was throwing all this on me, and she didn't, she didn't know what to do because she knew I didn't have it, but how do you, how do you tell someone you don't have it? And then mm. one day my brother just went, Jack, stop, you don't have any of this. You've been to a doctor, he says it's a stomach bug, it's just a stomach bug, and then I just stopped, and I was like, it's just a stomach bug, and the day after it was gone, and he had
1: it for about a month. Wow yeah it's amazing when our mind goes into overdrive how it can affect our body
0: yeah I mean I've, I, I think I've only only twice I've nearly passed out from anxiety one of them was in Dooter. that was quite the experience did you get dismissed well I m- had to put my hand up and say I need to go because my eyes were just blacking out I could hear them ringing in my ears I'm like I'm going to pass out and I don't understand why so I just left I thought it was ill but it turned out it was anxiety I'm going to have to try that one next time to get out of jury duty. <laughs> it was awful jury doer because, I mean, I can tell you the case case he's done, but um, it was this girl, uh, when she was young, she was about six, she got um, basically molested by her stepfather. Um, she came forward 15 years later about it, It came, went to court and in the, in the end, we had to find him not guilty because we just didn't have enough evidence, but you could tell from her, from she was, crying floods of tears I mean I'm not saying just because someone cries means that it happened but you could tell it on his face you could tell it on her face it happened but yeah. you can't say someone's guilty because it's beyond reasonable doubt uh, that's awful that's awful what I mean yeah and still, what it still ahead. sits with me today that cause it's such a failure on the justice systems because you know I she can sleep at night
1: and I always try to stress to, to survivors that just because something isn 't prosecutable doesn 't mean it 's not valid, yeah, two completely separate yeah. separate things um, so if you find out that you 're narcissistic and, and by the way i'd just like to to also say that there is a vast different difference between somebody who has narcissistic personality disorder and people who have traits of narcissism. That's, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah.
0: Uh, went in saying I was narcissistic. He went, you're not narcissistic. You just got, you just got narcissistic tendencies. Mm. Y- you don't have the personality disorder. You just got tendencies that you use when people, aban- like, you're so scared of abandonment, You
1: you, you use them tools to yeah save yourself you 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 do it's it's you're in survival mode you know that's like telling somebody you know as they're trying to find the stairwell out of a burning building you need to think less about yourself yeah uh, <laughs> you know once you begin to make sense of it and learn some coping mechanisms then i think it's you know yeah. a, some responsibility on your part to begin to learn how to cope in healthy ways and use the, the new tools that you're you're being taught. But mm. um, a lot of uh, there's so much misunderstanding and lack of compassion for people who are in survival mode. Because often the person in survival mode doesn't even know they're in survival mode. Yeah. They just know that they don't want to live another day feeling like they don't want to be on the planet. Yeah, And what am I going to find today mm. to take me out of that, to give me that rocket ship off yeah, off the planet. I mean, that's how I was in college,
0: early college. Tell just, me about that. It was just like, like I said before about um, so scared of people abandoned me, I was just, uh, just an awful person. I mean, even to teachers, I was just, I was
1: so difficult. Give me give me some examples, some like, concrete um, examples if you can think of them.
0: Like, these times where, in class, like, a teacher would just be teaching, and they'd walk out and go to the toilet, like, go to the toilet, mm. and they'd just walk around the college about ten times and then come back twenty minutes later, and they'd be like, where the hell have you been? I was like, just went to the toilet. I did that every single lesson, but they couldn't say no, because they had to let us go to the toilet. And I I just do that in so many lessons and I mean that's probably why I failed college in the end. But I was just
1: I was so difficult, I was just so angry. What were you feeling though that you felt like I gotta get up and get out I of think, my
0: chair? I think it's just the thought of stopping, the thought of being with myself, the thought of just being still I've always struggled with being still I've always got to be doing something I've got to be up like when I'm at home I don't I like I'd sit down for five minutes I'll walk up I'll make a coffee I'll go eat something I eat a lot I just eat 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 eat, because I just need something in my hands doing something because I can't stop I've got a fear of stopping and I mean I've got that under control now it's not as bad as it was but it's still there
1: and and so after you stop seeing the the counsellor yeah um has there has there been any other con- well
0: I had another counsellor um I, I was meant to be getting CBT um she said because I went back to the counsellor because I went back to the counsellor my anxiety just dropped because I was finally seeing someone who can help me um so I spoke to her she just she just said you're not your, your anxiety isn't bad enough to warrant us putting you on CBT I was like what (laughs) and then um, just one session she said I can't see you anymore I can put you on the list for another counsellor or you can just go and I just went I'll just go and um, before that actually I went on tablets beta blockers
1: beta beta blockers beta blockers yeah yeah,
0: um, for the anxiety um, and they helped a lot during that period, I mean, I've come off him now and touch what I can stay off him. I've not been on it. I think I took one a few days ago because I just woke up and I was so anxious. But I mean, I've been off him for about
1: three months now. And, and would you say that anxiety is the That's the, main the thing. biggest, the, yeah. ma- the main thing? I
0: mean, there was times where in work I was walking around and um, I'd do something wrong and um, I'd, I'd fear my job. I wouldn't just go, oh, I made a mistake, I'll, you know, fix it. Or he was straight to I'm gonna lose my job. I'm gonna get sacked. What then? I'm gonna have no job. No one's gonna hire someone who's been um, he's been fired in the past job. I'm gonna have no money. I'm gonna be a failure and just stuff. It just spiral and spiral and spiral. And that's when my eyes would glaze over and start hearing the ringing. And it's just it's, it's I don't have panic attacks. I just passed out. But I've never actually passed out. I just nearly passed out.
1: Mm. Wow. There's an amazing article uh, by uh, a guy named Dr. Alan Rappaport, um mm. about a thing he calls co-narcissism, mm. which is the effects on the child of narcissists and alcoholics yeah. or narcissists. Yeah. Um, and one of the one of the hallmarks of children raised by narcissists is black and white thinking. Yeah, and I was just thinking, as you were sharing that, you've got somebody who is in survival mode,
0: mm.
1: you in yeah. that moment, yeah you go into the black and white thinking and yeah. you just start extrapolating the dominoes of this is gonna lead to that is mm-hmm. gonna lead to that and gonna lead that, and so a mistake means you're homeless on a street corner, yeah, um, I mean, let me say, my
0: parents weren't the worst people on planet like. I'd come over on the weekend and they'd have toys from me. They'd, they'd buy me takeaway, they'd do everything I want. But that was the issue. They did everything I wanted. Like, there was no discipline, there was no rules. Like, I'd do something wrong, they'd say grounded for two weeks, and they'd let me d- out the day after. Mm. And I became a liar, I stole. I just, I wasn't a great child. And then once my auntie got married, she was like, this is how it's going to be. And I was like, Pff, "No, it's not." <laughs> and I was stealing. I was lying. And then she just came down at me like a ton of bricks. And she said, "You're not doing that anymore." And then, I mean, who said this? Meanta. Oh, okay. Yeah, she was. She put me. In, so she gave you the discipline you needed Yeah, she put me in place. I mean, there was a lot of screaming. There was a lot of crying on my behalf. You know, you're an you're an awful person. You know, it just I didn't say it to her, but I was like, "Oh, you're awful," you know, and. What a, what a bitch. And, but I realize now that if she wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't be where I am. Yeah.
1: Have you ever thanked her for that? No. And I, 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 I bet she would love to hear that. Yeah. I bet. I bet she would really, really love to hear that. Is Do you mm. feel like that's something that you would be comfortable saying to her, thanking her for yeah, that? Yeah, I think so. I bet she would love to hear that. Yeah. Okay.
0: Because. I mean, if I would have still lived with my parents, I wouldn't even want to know what I would have turned out to be. And I mean, in a way, I'm not going to say I'm happy they died because I'm not. If uh, there was these times even now where I fantasize about my mum actually faking her death and I meet her in the middle of the street and we all hug and cry and say, "Oh my God, mum, I can't believe you faked your death," and she would go, "Oh boy, it's for the best," but I know it's never going to happen because she did die. it went to a funeral. She's in a coffin. Well, she got cremated, but, um, I mean, I do miss her, but in a way, I'm glad that that I wasn't in their care because I, I would have probably become an alcoholic. I probably would have just bec- just had no job, just bought booze all the time, probably homeless, and I wouldn't be in a great place.
1: Emotionally, physically, uh, anything like that. On a scale from 1 to 10, what was your anxiety like? Uh, I'm guessing you would rate it a 10 if you're passing out in jury duty. Um, and what would you rate your anxiety on an average day today? Uh, back then, I'd say it's about a 9, 10,
0: yeah. Um, now, a 3. Wow. If I, I'd still get the anxious thoughts, but it's something I just ignore now. Sometimes I do... Wake up and I'm panicking. I'm like, oh my god, I've got like I'll feel a pain in my chest. I'm having an heart attack. I'm having an heart attack. I'm gonna die. But that goes within two, f- two, three, four, five minutes. But then I would sit with it for hours upon end. I'd be spaced out. I I just I just sit there just in a daze. Like I've got Crohn's disease and I'm gonna have to live with this for the rest of my life. And I I don't do that now. As bad.
1: I'm just going to throw this out there for you to think about when you start panicking is look at what you've been through Mm. and survived Mm. dude if you can get to where you are now yeah you can handle anything yeah I know that
0: I mean there's still there's still steps forward but I, I I like to call it enlightenment and I mean, I don't mean spiritual enlightenment in terms of meditate. I mean, I do meditate sometimes. Um,
1: Which I think is a great thing for anxiety. It's, it's beautiful. Just,
0: I mean, my, my favorite thing is just mindfulness because most of the time I start work about 5 o'clock in the morning and I go outside about 4 a.m. and it was, it's me, the cold air and the birds chirping. And if I could sit in that moment for the rest of my life, I would. Like, I've always, I, I love nature. I go out on walks in nature. I mean, I can't at the moment because I've got tendonitis, um, which is pff, pissing me off. But um, I'd go like the peak districts and um, just naturely places with hills. And it's just, it's not even the nature, it's the people as well. The people are so just nice. Like, I remember when I went last time, I spoke to this woman. Um, we just started talking, and she was just the most beautiful person. She was. She'd worked in mental health, and you know, told him a story and how at the time I was suffering with anxiety I and mean, I just needed to be out in nature. And she went, "Yeah, this is it's the good best thing to do." And she was she gave me so much good advice. And I
1: mean, she's just a great person. You meet so many people like that. Yeah, I imagine you. You, when you're out um in nature as the sun is coming up you don't hear a lot of people going What a dick <laughs> No. <laughs> it's such a <laughs> it's such a mellow, mellow time, yeah. Um anything else you'd like to talk about mm-hmm. or share.
0: I mean now you put me on the spot. I can't think of anything but when i want take your to time leave. If you wanna I mean I think I've spoken about most of the things yeah. like my main story
1: yeah you know when I have guests that are around your age mm. they tend to be shorter episodes because there's not much to talk about you, yeah your your story still yeah. remains to uh, I've to, lived to a to lifetime unfold. in 19 years <laughs> you have <laughs> you have my friend well uh, I'm so glad that our paths crossed mm. and I got to hear your story and uh I got you to get a hug from you in person. Yeah. And I mean,
0: what, when I um, emailed you, I thought we'd just meet up and have dinner. I wasn't expecting to be on the podcast, and, you know, it's such a great pleasure, you know, listening to 200, 300 odd episodes, how many there is, it's, and to actually be on it myself. Whether it's uploading or not, I don't really care. Just to meet you in person, you know. Oh, I no, this is going to air. Yeah, it's, it's incredible, you know, just meeting you and stuff. Thanks, brother. You're Thanks.
1: What a sweet man. And uh, and I'm officially a crybaby. Cried on last week's episode, cried on this week's episode, although this was recorded a month ago. Uh, anyway, this episode will soon be transcribed and available on our website. Many thanks to Accurate Secretarial for donating their time and helping out the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, judging the shit out of myself for um, having back-to-back episodes where I cry. Just telling you that because it takes the power out of the mean voice in my brain when I share the things that it is yelling at me. I hope you can relate, and if you can relate, I'm also sorry that you can relate because you know what that uh, pain in the ass that mean voice can be. Um, I want to tell you guys about ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidate? Because finding great Talent can be tough. Uh, Thankfully, with ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Then, their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. So find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, you guys can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com first. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash first. One more time. To try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash first. Uh, Let's get into the surveys, huh? Enough of this mucking around. I feel like there was something else I wanted to tell you, and I can't remember what it was. Oh, well. This is a happy moment filled out by Jamie Jonestown, uh, who is uh, a trans male. And uh, he writes, today is the first hot day in six years that I've gone outside without a chest binder. I got chest reconstruction surgery a month ago. Somehow I found an amazing, friendly, talented surgeon who took insurance. I feel free for the first time in six years. I can just go outside and live my life. That's so awesome. Why anybody? would want to deny you that joy or shame you for it is beyond me beyond me um actually it's not beyond me because as i shared with jt um i used to be the type of person that would judge that so um anyway this is a happy moment filled out by Paul S. And he writes, This is rather small, but your talking of marshmallow cream reminded me of it. When I was about 12 years old or so, my family took a road trip where the where the elevation was quite a bit higher than we were living at the time. My mother decided to make sandwiches for all of us. Unbeknownst to any of us, marshmallow cream tends to expand when exposed to areas where the air pressure is lower. So my mother opened the jar, and there was what can only be described as a slow eruption of cream right out of the jar. She was on it in moments and making sandwiches by the second as the cream came constantly flowing out of the top of the jar. To this day, we laugh about it whenever we're eating marshmallow and peanut butter sandwiches or whenever it comes up in conversation. I just realized that that is how I want to die, is I want to be at the top of Mount Everest with as many people around me as possible unscrewing jars of marshmallow fluff and and just suffocating me in it as I watch the sunset and uh, say, ah, my toes are cold. They're making me want to I I went through 3 jars of marshmallow fluff this week. 3 fucking jars of it. You know we 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 cope how we cope when we cope. <laughs> I'm going to need to eat marshmallow fluff to get over saying that phrase. I don't. I didn't even know what I said. I blacked out halfway through it. Shame just came in and kicked me in the face and said, "You pompous, boring ass! Shut your fucking face!" And I know that's Mean DJ voice talking to me. Oh yeah, I know that's you, buddy. I don't know why I let you fucking rent real estate in my head. Well, Paul, I'm a good tenant. I got nothing. I have no I have no reply to you, mean DJ voice. If you don't mind, I'd like to finish the show. This is a shame and secret survey filled up by a woman who calls herself your favorite sad clown. She's straight in her thirties, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um uh, she was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, she doesn't elaborate. She has been emotionally abused. She writes, grew up with a father with hugely undiagnosed mental illness. Nothing like have having your father scream, you dumb fucking asshole, to your mother as you hug your blankie and know you're going to be captive to this forever. Any positive experiences with the abusers? My dad likes to throw a good party, and so do I, but he has terrible taste. One suggestion for a New Year's Eve party? Cranberry mimosas and a buffet of nothing but chicken. Also, disco lights. Uh, I think that sounds like a wonderful night out. And uh, I think your dad has terrific taste. As long as everybody has platform shoes and uh, the chicken is buffalo chicken. Darkest thoughts. In the throes of one of my dad's temper tantrums, I thought, I should end this Game of Thrones style and save this family with the nearest weapon. Oh, I love that sentence. That is such a beautiful sentence. Game of Thrones style. Red Wedding style. God, that... GOT fans, do you remember seeing the Red Wedding episode and they would fade... Just that fade to black. Like, is, is there anything... More just like dramatic than that fade to black at the end of Game of Thrones. It It is like one of the greatest joys of being alive is just sitting in that darkness for that three seconds before the credits roll and going, motherfucker, they did it again. How do they keep doing it? Uh, oh. although I gotta say sometimes Game of Thrones, too many characters, too many islands i uh, i I'm having trouble keeping track you're at my you're at my limit, ah, uh, darkest secrets, one time my dad screamed he was going to kill all of us while driving on vacation. I closed my eyes and waiting for it to happen. And was at least calmed by the fact that we'd go out together as a family. Uh, that might be a Hallmark card. A very low selling? Actually, that would probably, that would probably sell really well. Uh and by the way, I I hope I'm not coming off as glib. Uh, he says after four minutes of nothing but pure glibness. Um it's it's I'm sorry that you've had to experience um, all of these things. It's just when uh, when my caffeine is hitting me just right, the timing is right, and I'm in a good mode. Uh, I like to I like to uh, <laughs> I don't know the word for it. I like to space out and disappoint disappoint the audience. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you, being in an orgy as the, quote, turkey in the Thanksgiving meal. All the attention is on me. I don't want to sit in the corner twisting someone's nipples. At first, when you said, I want to be the turkey in the orgy, I thought, oh, so you want somebody sticking something in you and then saying, it's a little dry. I just came up with that. I just came up with that. And I think we can all agree it sounds like i just came up with that um uh, i'd like to be the thing actually in the orgy that that actually steals the spotlight from the turkey i'd like to be the exotic meat stuffed inside the turkey you know like the the duck breast or the uh cornish game hen or whatever the fuck those things are uh i'd actually i would like to be in i would like to be You go inside the turkey, and then there's a duck inside the turkey, and then inside the duck is a chicken, and in the beak of the chicken is a mint, and I want to be that mint. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? And by the way, chicken, they have notoriously bad breath. Uh, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I wish my dad could acknowledge the damage he has done. What, if anything, do you wish for? Uh, I also wish he could redo his life without dealing with mental illness and feeling calm and happiness. Have you shared these things with others? I think on some level my dad knows, and reiterating it would be unnecessarily cruel. Um, thank you for sharing that. And, man, that is... I wish my dad could acknowledge the damage he has done that. That is like the great hope of so many of us. And some of us drive ourselves insane trying, trying to make that connection with somebody who is, you know, uh, metaphorically or analogously in the uh, corner, licking their wound. This is a happy moment. Filled out by Myup, Myup, MiuP, M-M-M-Y-U-P. And she writes, this week I went to my first support group for codependence after listening to you and your guests talk about struggling with it. Leaving group that day, I felt a sense of warmth, purpose, and belonging that I haven't felt in so long. Still, I was initially ashamed that I was the only person who didn't feel comfortable sharing, even though I wasn't the only first-timer in the meeting. But I realized that two years ago, when I first started going to therapy for anxiety and depression, I would have never felt confident enough to attend a meeting at all. My journey is far from over, but with my anxiety just showing up as half the battle, I'm so thankful. I have the strength to seek the help I need. Love it. Thank you for sharing that. Never, ever get tired of hearing about people telling that mean voice in their brain to go fuck itself and going and reaching out to another human being. This is an awful moment filled out by uh, an agender person who refers to themselves as amoeba. And they write... Uh, for some time my depression has been getting worse and worse, and I was struggling to function most of the depression was caused by my awful workplace, which is toxic and honestly emotionally abusive right before my big uh right before my big boss who works remotely was coming to visit the office he is always negative and the closest he gets to positive reinforcement is saying I would do x and y but if you think what you have is acceptable, I guess go ahead and uh, go ahead with it um It's kind of a tough sentence to read. Uh, I was coming to visit the office and I had a doctor's appointment. I told my primary care doctor that I hated work so much that I had spent most of the previous weekend thinking about slitting my wrists, but immediately calling it, immediately calling an ambulance so that I would still live, but would be required to miss work. She told me I was not going back and sent me to a local mental health hospital Can we pause for one second and high-five the fuck out of your doctor? That is so awesome. That is so awesome. Um, I ended up taking three weeks of FMLA leave and doing four days of, quote, partial hospital, where I spent most of the day in group therapy programs. I also switched medications because apparently SSRIs work well until you're hyper-stressed, then they just kind of poop out. The time off work and the reassurance of all the medical professionals at the hospital that, yes, my workplace is awful, made me feel like maybe when I went back, I'd be able to assert my need for accommodations. For example, uh, of what I experience at work. At a company of less than 100 people, three different people, including the COO, had to personally approve the purchase of a $20 ergonomic mouse for me. And in parentheses, I'm a salaried member of management with a specialized degree. When I asked my department head if we could start recognizing individual members of our department for their good work, she said that we couldn't give compliments to people unless they weren't making mistakes or they'd think they didn't need to improve. I was denied a trash can for the office I share for quote short term budgetary reasons, while on the same day a pallet of wine was delivered to the office for the CEO. Uh unfucking real. Unfucking real. And this is endemic in our corporate culture. And we hardly ever talk about the mental impact that that has on people eight hours a day. You know, the the gap in wages between the rich and poor in this country has expanded by like, I don't know, 500 fold. I forget what the number is, but it's unbelievable how much it's grown since the 50s and the average the the gap between the average worker at a company and um, the CEO um has has skyrocketed and it's i think it's because we put these people on pedestals and that's not to say that none of them uh deserve uh to be rewarded well uh financially for doing good jobs it's that they're there seems to be a culture of if you can get a good quarterly return and please the shareholders, it doesn't matter how you go about it and whether or not you fuck that company for the next decade and bail out as soon as possible and go to the next one with your golden parachute while people get laid off. And you see it happening time and time and time again. And that, that takes a toll. On people. That takes a toll on people. Uh, she wound up uh, going to the HR manager and said, uh, I don't think I'm a good fit at this company and I'm looking for another job. And within two days, she fucking found one. So awesome. It's so awesome. Love it. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, this is a, a, uh awful moment that a A listener shared, and she calls herself Pussy Galore, and uh, she writes, "Um, I took my cat to the vet because he's been uh, an asshole and peeing on the door. Uh, And she puts in parentheses, I've already had him checked out for any medical issues. Uh, Some cats are just anxiety-ridden and nuts, the vet said as he handed me a prescription. It was for 10 milligrams of Prozac the exact same prescription I take. <laughs> Thank you. That's so fantastic. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself worthless and walla walla. He's straight in his 30s, raised in a totally chaotic environment, uh, was a victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, he says, I was molested by a male cousin uh, who was 14 uh, when I was four to five years old. He's been physically and emotionally abused. He writes, "Grew up with a very abusive father who I'd routinely watch beat the hell out of my mother and grandmother. I wasn't beaten because he knew that even as a child, all of my friends were adults, teachers, coaches, etc., and they'd know. He mentally wore me out, and 38 years later, I still hear him tell me how utterly useless I am. The worst thing he'd do, to, the worst thing he'd do to me physically, was shove me around and bully me." He'd literally take his work socks off after a long day of work. He was a mechanic and a truck driver during this time. Sit on my chest and ram the socks into my mouth. So disgusting. It was all about a power trip and having attention with him. That is so fucked up. I mean, how, how do you navigate the world with any confidence? When, when that happens to you. Any positive experiences with that person. All of the positives are seriously outweighed by the fear that I've always had of the guy. Darkest thoughts. I've come dangerously close to suicide before. Darkest secrets. Once I got older, I always wanted to be accepted, which is something I felt I never was by people my own age. When sex entered my life, in my head, I equated sex with acceptance and went through a phase where I'd pay for sex just so I'd feel close to someone And for that time, I felt accepted. There are still times I feel that way, but I haven't paid for sex in quite a while because I know if it was ever found out, my career uh, and personal life would be ruined. I always feel that I have to put on an act for people so they don't see the real me. There have been times where the lines have become blurred and I've lost myself. To this point, I think I've lost myself and never found who I really am anymore you know i i think for a lot of us and maybe i should just speak for myself but the first place i got a sense of self was feeling seen by people in my support group you know having them do the you know what therapists would call mirroring uh that parents should do which is to um see you and not always have it be all about all about them or at least see you in a way that um, has boundaries, you know, etc. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I would love, I love to be dominated, not like dominatrix type of domination, but told what to do and being the submissive. I kind of like the idea of that too. Um, What if anything, would you like to say to someone that you haven't been able to? The people that abused me in the past, sexually, physically, and emotionally, have no idea the real damage they caused. I wish they could walk a day in my shoes. What, if anything, do you wish for? To be able to find peace with myself and to be able to accept myself for whatever I am now. Have you shared these things with others? Not really. My wife knows some of it, and she's as as understanding as she can be, having not come from that background. How do you feel after writing these things down? Ashamed. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? You aren't on an island, and you aren't alone. I've felt that way most of my life, uh, but this podcast has made me realize that a lot of people can relate and have experienced similar things. Um, I'm so sorry that you feel ashamed. Um, It's, you were shamed. You were shamed for no reason by the person who was supposed to protect you from people shaming you. And um, I hope you can get to that place where the shame isn't so debilitating and you can see that you aren't who your father treated you as. Sending you some love. This is an awful moment filled out by the burden. And she writes uh, Googling, quote, painless ways to die, unquote, and only getting a search result for the National Suicide Hotline with a quote that says, you are not alone. Confidential help is out there for free. Well played, Google. Well played. It actually made me laugh out loud. Thank you for that. I love the shit that we're able to laugh about on this podcast. It is so freeing for me to, to find people who also sometimes can't do anything but laugh at how fucked up they think or feel, um, Anyway, this is another awfulsome moment filled out by a guy who calls himself Vikings Freak. And he writes, I was 15 years old and had stomach issues due to stress from being tormented by the father and not having a safe place. Uh, Naturally, my parents decided it was a medical issue and submitted me to many tests. The one that set Sets out, though, was a rectal exam. I was already embarrassed, vulnerable, and nervous with the doctor in the room. He had me get on the table, lay on my side in the fetal position, then says, hold on one second, I have some students to observe. In walks, several college-aged students, a lot of them being female, to watch as he sticks his fingers in my ass, narrating the whole thing and fielding questions so that I truly knew these college-aged girls were getting a good, deep look truly awful moment. It was devastating at that age. How is that? I experienced, many of the listeners know, I experienced something similar when I was 10 that just fucking deeply scarred me and it was had to do with my genitals and a bunch of other horrible shit. Um, and I don't, how is that legal? How, how does it or not, you know, you have to get approval to like, uh, you know, you know read read your classroom catch uh, catcher in the rye but how is it I don't understand I don't understand how that can continue to to happen with without any checking in with that kid or the parent or talking about it beforehand um And how he would just surprise it on that kid. It's so fucking awful. I'm getting really angry right now. Uh, This is a uh, shame and secrets survey. um, Filled out by a guy who calls himself the Lone Ranger. He's straight in his 30s. Was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Has never been sexually abused. He's not sure if he's been physically or emotionally abused. He writes... uh, Uh, My dad has never been the touchy-feely type. I don't know why this memory sticks in my head, but I remember my dad once saying something like, um, in reference to a man making, quote, gay gestures, if you know or someone tells you that you are acting gay, then why wouldn't you stop acting that way? Basically meaning that gayness is so bad that one wouldn't even want to be seen as gay. I'm not gay, but that cowboy attitude was always an awkward behind-the-scenes problem with my dad. I'm 32, and my dad and I are only recently able to hug each other. It's pathetic. I haven't said the words I love you to my dad in so long that I can't, I literally can't remember the last time my mom and dad, the last time. Uh, My mom and dad divorced when I was in fifth grade. Both parents remarried people that are definitely more like themselves. When my sister got married, I remember her crying and telling me that for just one day, she wished she had that dad that cries when he walks uh, his daughter down the aisle, that kind of gives the, the kind that gives a good speech at the wedding and cries again, but we don't have that dad. Wow, well, that's so that's so um, that's so moving, and heartbreaking. Any positive experiences? Of course, I think my dad does deeply care about his kids, but he has a really hard time showing his emotions and as of late can only seem to find financial ways of showing his kids he cares. You know, and I wonder if that feeds into, too, this over-placement of um, importance on money and our culture and on our society because we think that the... I have to have this to be able to let my kids know I love them. And so then I have to treat the people that work with me like shit so I can get enough money. I don't know. Darkest thoughts. I do sometimes think how nice it would be for the world to be ended for me what little thing would I need to do to stack the cards in my favor. That's hard for me to admit. Things I have absolutely no control over, like cancer or flying in planes. But then again, I never want to be selfish about the entire thing and hurt others with my pain or be bringing them down with me. Um, Darkest Secrets. I masturbate to porn too often and it lengthens and deepens my depression. I don't know why I do it. I don't even want to do it. But it's a habit, like brushing your teeth. I don't even get turned on by it quickly anymore. I'll find myself browsing for half an hour, trying to get hard. It's pathetic, man. I try to stop by creating roadblocks, but none of them work. I live alone, and even though I told I'm tr- get told I'm attractive and I am in fairly good health, I have very few girlfriends slash dates. I always feel alone. Maybe that's why I masturbate to porn so often. I live in a smallish city of 50,000 or so people. I know most of the people that are into the outdoors community, which I mostly align with, and it's always an awkward community for me. I moved here around three years ago and never really made any good friends besides one, and he is now married to a woman that is controlling. Now that one friend is moving an hour away. It's not the end of the world, but I always enjoyed him randomly showing up at my doorstep. I will truly miss him and will Feel more lonely in a month when he is gone. I'm not sure how to, quote, just get out and meet new people when I've tried in various ways and it never works for me. The more I fail, the more I start believing that I'm a failure. How do I stop this downward spiral? I'm thinking of moving to a bigger city and starting over. Will that work? Will I ever be good enough for my own head? I'm so tired of being lonely. I'm so tired of being an outsider. It wasn't like this in college. In college, I was cool and fun. What happened? I don't know the answers to to all of that, but I think it, if you want my two cents, uh, why not give it a shot moving to a bigger city, um, and trying to meet people organically through things like, um, uh, a support group for, um, intimacy issues, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that, um, those walls that are coming up around you are defense mechanisms that you created as a kid. So you wouldn't be hurt anymore by having a dad that was emotionally unavailable. Um, and struggling with the porn thing, that might be a good place to address that issue. Um, and, and, big metropolises. There are, uh, just amazing, amazing, uh, support groups. And that would be, that would be my, uh, my two cents, but I think connecting to like-minded sympathetic people, i.e. people who can show emotions unlike your dad, I think that'd be really cool for you. And I think I think you'd feel a lot of healing and I think you'd feel a lot less lonely. Um, He asked, can you make episodes searchable by topic? Um, On our website, there's a search box and uh, type whatever you're looking for in that, you know, bipolar or anxiety or whatever. And any episodes that have that in the description should come up. Oh, and the other question, uh, is I hear some people talk about what they go through and I think, holy shit, who am I? I don't have half the issues that person does. And it makes me unsure if this is the show for me. Am I allowed to participate since I have had drug addiction or tried killing myself or some months I'm in a, or some months I'm in a really good mood? Yes. Yes. First of all, anybody is allowed to participate in this show. But those things that that you've described are fucking big things. Um, We get so numb to what it is that that we've been through um, that we can only really give weight to it if we see somebody else going through it or experiencing it. And um, again, I, I encourage you to connect. Find a way to connect to people. You know, as nice as small towns are, um, it can be hard if you need a support group to, to make that connections. I, um, you know where you might start is uh, there is a website called In The Rooms. Uh, and I don't know if it's .com or .org, but they have all kinds of 12-step meetings there. And uh, I've heard great things about it. So, um, apparently you can participate or you can just watch on video jump in when you feel like it. I'm, um, I i do not know all the details, but it might, might be worth checking out for, for those of you that uh, want to either ease into it or you live in a remote area. This is an awful moment filled out by Saguaro and, um, she writes, <coughs> uh, I was in a, and she's a teenager under 18. I was in a bathroom stall on the phone with my mother, listening to her scream and threaten me more than she ever has in my life. For the first time, I was actually terrified to go home. Of course, I was breaking down and crying, but then the girls vaping in the big stall next to me were asking if I was okay and invited me into the stall to have a few hits and talk about what's happening. Unfortunately, I declined, but when I walked out of the bathroom, I realized My biggest supporters were a bunch of juvenile delinquents vaping in the girls' bathroom at eight in the morning. My God, that is fucking awful. Some, I got, uh, caught by the principal eight in the morning. My first day, my sophomore year of high school, I got caught smoking pot and, uh, my dad was very understanding. He told me it uh, that it, this is the saddest day except for the day his father died. So I said, okay, if you quit smoking cigarettes, I'll quit smoking pot. And we agreed. And I kept up my part of the bargain. And I was on my way to a concert. And I think I hadn't smoked in like six months. And a friend passed me a joint. And I said uh, – uh, no thanks. And he said, oh, are you still doing that thing with your dad? And I said, yeah. He go, and he started laughing. I go, what? He goes, I see your dad on the side of your house every night after dinner smoking a cigarette. I was like, give me that joint. And it was on. I you know, wonder why I have <laughs> trust issues. Um, I just had an audio uh, snafu. Uh, I read a really long shame and secrets, uh, survey filled out by a woman named Scarlett, and it got erased and I don't have the energy to reread it, but it's a really moving survey. And Scarlett, if you're listening, um, I just want to say, um, you are an awesome, beautiful soul and you deserve friendships that aren't abusive and your mother is an incredibly toxic person and fuck her and fuck what she thinks and fuck people who would judge you for having fantasies of having lesbian sex. And I hope you can get to a point where you can reach out and take that power that is there for you that you've been giving away to your mom and abusive partners um, because that's what you were led to believe as a, as a child. Um, You were worth more than that, but it's probably going to take getting out of your comfort zone and seeking some type of help because you've been through fucking hell you have been through hell, and you're worth more than what you're experiencing in your life right now. You can have a beautiful life, but it takes change and standing up for yourself and learning to be comfortable with other people being upset with you. There is no way to grow without experiencing people being upset with you. People are going to be upset with you no matter what you do. So why the fuck not do what you want in life as long as you're not hurting somebody uh, in, in a way that uh, where you're consciously trying to hurt that person as opposed to taking care of your, yourself and that person feels hurt because you pull away. Oh, shut up, Paul. All right, moving on. This is a happy moment filled out by Lucid. And he writes, I've recently been dealing with a relapse into depression and suicidal ideation. One of my best friends, who's usually a macho kind of guy, came up to me the other day and gave me a huge hug. Before he let go, he told me that he didn't know what he could do or say to make things better for me, but that he wanted me to know that he wouldn't know what to do if I wasn't in his life anymore. All I could do was cry and tell him that he had just done everything I ever needed him to do. That is really, really, really beautiful. Uh, mean DJ Voice told me he thinks it sounds pretty gay. Um, I don't know why I passed that on to you. I guess just so you can get to know what a complete fucking homophobic douche he is. Thank you for, uh, for sharing that, Lucid. He, mean DJ Voice just said, nice name. And then he made that noise, that pfft, pfft, He does that a lot, mean DJ voice. Uh, this is an awful moment. I'm going to put this one in a Hall of Fame category. And this is filled out by a guy who calls himself Goodnight John Boy, Goodnight Jim Bob, Goodnight Mary Ellen, which I think is a reference to the uh, 70s TV show, uh, The Waltons. And he writes I suffer from BDD, uh, body dysmorphic disorder. In particular, my brain has locked in on the idea that my penis is too small. I'm a married man, mid-40s, and I know logically and rationally that this simply isn't true. I've measured and I'm solidly average. However, my brain just refuses to accept what I know is the truth. It's crazy. I've dealt with this insecurity and irrationality most of my life, and it's been rather debilitating and embarrassing to admit. Anyway... I decided to submit a picture of my erect penis to an online forum, one of those Rate My Cock websites. Was this a good idea? Hell no. This is just one of the many dumbass things I've done because of my irrationality or impulsivity. So, I do it. An hour later, my wife calls me, wanting to know, what the fuck are you doing? Here's the situation. My wife, me and my wife's mother, all share a Verizon cell phone plan. We all have iPhones, and the feature that shares all photos between the phones was turned on. That's right. My mother-in-law has a picture of my penis next to a ruler, straining to reach the 5.9-inch mark. Dear God, where's the life undo button? That is so fucking some. that, oh my God, how can you not think of that every single time you see each other or a ruler? Oh my God. <laughs> can you imagine how awkward that that moment would be? If you're in the living room and you're sitting next to your mother-in-law <laughs> one of the kids comes by with homework and has a ruler, how hard would you both not look at each other? Oh, dude, thank you for sharing that. That, that, oh, I would rather have, I would rather make somebody's toilet overflow at a party than then experience that. Oh, my God. I love, too, that uh, all of this stuff is transcribed uh, by a service. And that some person who is normally not even a listener to this show is typing all this shit out. In fact, right now, whatever I say, they're going to type. Big wet Pussy. Antelope running around inside my butthole. <laughs> I love to blow alligators. I know they're laughing right now. If they're not, they are quitting their job tomorrow. Uh,. Oh my god. All right, this is um I got two more things to read. This is a happy moment and the other one is a uh they're both happy moments. This is filled out by, sometimes I think I'm profound, but I'm probably not. And she writes, uh, I've been struggling a lot lately. I have that fun combo of anxiety, depression, and ADHD, and a myriad of other issues that I won't get into that have had me about ready to just give up. Recently, I've been experiencing some insane mood swings where one moment I think I'm okay and the next moment I'm sitting in my car in a random parking lot overcome with emotion that I can't even identify or understand and punching my steering wheel as hard as I can to feel pain in my fist instead of my chest. Anyway, I started on an antidepressant yesterday and although I know it will be a few weeks, Before I feel the full effect, I do feel hopeful for the first time in a long time that maybe this will help me and that there may be a light at the end of the tunnel. My therapist also pointed out to me yesterday that I spend a lot of energy trying to figure out why I feel the way I feel, what the point is of doing anything, and why I am even on this earth to begin with, only to be frustrated and disappointed when I can't find an answer. Sometimes there are no answers. And if I can just accept that and accept the way I feel, maybe I can focus more on what I need to feel better. Uh, and it really got me thinking, maybe I don't have to understand why I'm here or what the point of anything is. Maybe it is just enough to be here as an observer of this amazing universe and to be thankful for every day in it. Life really is rare and beautiful and people are often don't realize this until their final moments. Struggle is an inherent part of our existence, but so is beauty and love and everything else that makes the struggle worth it. Although I still have a long ways to go to feel truly okay, for the first time, I do feel like I will eventually find the contentment I've been seeking for so long. And that in itself is a miracle. Thank you for that. That's really beautiful. Really beautiful. Uh, There was this thing that a, I don't remember where I read it, but a nurse who uh, worked for a long time in hospice care and would be with, uh, you know, was with many, many people at the end of their lives. uh, She wrote this thing and said, the most common thing that people say at the end of their lives is, I wish I would have worried less. And that makes me worry that I'm worrying too much. Um, (laughs) this is a happy moment. Uh, I love it for so many reasons. Um, it reminds me so much of my childhood. We never played this game, but all of the things that she describes, um, in it, um, the physical experiences, uh, it's filled out by a woman who calls herself, S.S. Cumbucket. And she writes, as my husband gets closer to receiving his Canadian citizenship, my mind has been flooded with thoughts about what it means to be a Canadian. Once you shelve the political garbage that normally accompanies such a thought, several childhood memories come to mind. One memory is so strong that when I shut my eyes, I can feel the numb coldness of those winter nights. My brother and I would break from the warmth of our small home, grab our GT racers, a a type of sled with a blade to steer it, and walk to the nearest hill, which was perfect for tobogganing. It was bitterly cold and utterly silent. As we walked through the park, our boots crunched, giving off the squeaky sound of dry, powdered snow. Apart from the yellow haze of the of the far-off halogen street lamps, the only light was from the moon bouncing off the untouched blanket of snow. We stood at the top, taking in the perfection of a clean sheet which would turn into a story written by us. Using my bulky, gloved hand, I reached into my pocket to pull out a flashlight. I turned to my brother, and he nodded. No no words needed to be exchanged. This was a game we would played many times and almost always in silence. There was something sacred about how quiet those nights were. I whipped my hand back and threw the flashlight as hard as I could. We were off, bounding down the hill, chasing after it, watching the beam whirling around frantically, throwing a pinprick of light infinitely out. The beam would cross our path as we both raced after it. Whoever caught the flashlight was the winner. Oftentimes, we'd crash into each other with violent force, laughing it off with the invincibility of youth. Walk up the hill, again, 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 time after time. I would learn later in my life that this is something called meditation. Our house was a noisy one and not in a good way. This was our church, silence. We grew tired of dragging our sleds up the hill. Or when we grew tired of dragging our sleds up the hill, we would collapse at the bottom and look up at the stars. We would stay there until our teeth started chattering. Then we'd walk home. And hang our GT racers in the shed for another night. Wow. That was poetic. Thank you. Thank you for that. I for some reason this this memory is burned into my head of uh walking home on like a December night. Uh it it wasn't Christmas break, but it was um We'd gone, there was a reservoir that we would sled down because where I lived was really flat, but the reservoir, they drain the water. And uh so it's this super steep hill that kids would go sledding down. And I just remember that feeling of being exhausted and, but you just la- you had laughed so hard and your face like felt frostbitten and your nose and your toes and your fingertips and and you were so tired, but you were just so relaxed and um, such a, such a feeling of uh a weird feeling of like accomplishment, relaxation, and that melancholia that that is so intense on those gray winter days when the when the light is short in in December. And I just remember one, one night walking home and just, I don't think I was consciously saying it to myself, but I remember thinking to myself, I feel so good and so bad at the same time. It, I felt like fulfilled and energized and also empty and sad at the same time. I don't know how to describe it, but I, I would imagine some of you have experienced that, uh before. And fuck, isn't that what life is in a nutshell is just two completely conflicting things going on at the same time. Hmm. Well, thank you for, uh, thank you for all the, the nice, uh, sentiments. Um, some of you sent my way, uh, last week, it was not my intention. Um, But, um, we need each other. God, so much of my life, I just was like, how can I do all of this on my own? And then wondered why I felt so lonely. Oh, anyway, I hope you heard something tonight that, uh, either entertained you or enlightened you or enraged you or did something to make you feel something. And, um. Just never forget that you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody up up I know weird beautifully, fucked up, I know weird beautifully, beautifully, up beautifully fucked up in some weird way.
0: Bizarrely beautifully everybody fucked up in some way. weird way.